Welcome to the Men of Magic, an interview podcast that gets into the lives of your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. With your host, Robert Merton, and now the Men of Magic begins. Welcome to another episode of the Men of Magic. I'm joined this week by the guy who made 60cards.com, a gentleman who, in my point of view, has the makings of the rogue deck designing that one current pro, Conley Woods, does. Founder of 60cards.com and one-fourth of the A-team, you know him as Smitty. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? How did you guys get together for the A-team? How did this all come together with you being involved with it? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, since I'm the ass of Canada, <laughs> I don't know how... Uh... How how that ended up at all? Uh, KYT basically had the idea that he wanted to start the A team, um, and I think if you listen to uh, KYT's interview a little bit, you you do hear uh, parts of this. So we'll see if our stories coincide. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, KYT contacted me. Uh, we we became kind of friends once we both started our sites, ManaDeprived.com and 60cards.com, uh, pretty close to each other. I think it was within a few months. Uh, it, it kind of turned into a deal where we just kind of drove each other. We'd be like, oh, dude, I'm feeling a little worn out. What about you, bro? And uh, he'd be like, yeah. And like, all right, well, we're still going to make our sites the best it can be. And it just like, I think we kept pushing each other, and we just became more and more friends, talking on Moto and eventually, you know, obviously Twitter. And it just turned out to be a, a good friendship. So he, he came to me because I, I guess just he liked my motivation and what I was doing. Uh, and then Scotty had contacted me about joining 60cards.com because he liked what I was doing. And so, and he actually mentioned, uh, on our initial conversation when he called me about the site, about, um, about maybe doing a podcast on the road. And like, he had some visions for the site too. And, uh, so he's definitely been a part of that. But, uh, so th- that's kind of how Scotty got into it, and Jay Woosh, uh he just decided he wanted to join us. So <laughs> we let him. He's like, he, right when we were starting to uh, to podcast, literally the night we were going to start podcasting, he's like, all right, guys, I'll be right back. I'm going to the store to get a headset. And uh, <laughs> the rest is history. It's like KYT said, uh, it's just really a lot of a lot of luck is what happened. Our personalities really came out i think a little of us kind of uh play a little character on the a team and uh you can't you just can't plan that stuff is what it comes down to 60cards.com what was the inspiration behind that 60cards.com you know what i started blindly completely unknowing what i wanted to do with it where i wanted to go um i literally had no goals i was just excited because I was gaining so much, um, what do I want to just say, pleasure from magic, and uh, I, re- I was really starting to get into it serious and realize I was past the point as a kid where I felt like it was just a waste of time. Like, there's actually some meaning here as far as uh, what you want to get out of it, just like fun goals and like becoming better at something. Like, it, it just became more than just like playing a video game per se. Um, and so I'm like, well, my brother's a web designer, which uh, his name's Andrew. He runs artbyandrew.com. I gotta plug him. <laughs> the 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 uh, the reason 
um, so the reason 60 Cards came about was because of that. He was a web designer. I talked to him. He was into doing it for free. So that was absolutely huge. Um, and so I'm like, why not? Like, I have nothing to lose. I don't foresee any expenses. So I can just do this, uh, post my thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. I, I wanted it to be more than just a, a blog of my own thoughts because, I mean, that doesn't really drive traffic. So we made it a full-fledged site, uh, began to start with a vision after the first week or two of just building the site. And uh, I guess, I mean, it, it's really kind of gone into its own little niche, but it took a long time to see where I wanted to go. I really just tried to drive traffic at the beginning of it. And now it's like really a spiky, I want it to be a spiky rogue uh website just for people that you know are sick of the meta game as far as uh net decking i mean i'm not against net decking i never was i sometimes play the best deck but i just had a passion for deck building and realized so many other people liked different yet good so uh it's just kind of evolved into that um, so it just all started basically with a little luck again that my brother happened to be a web designer and uh that i just had a passion for the game and he's actually one who brought me back into Magic a couple of years ago. Him and his girlfriend at the time were playing, and I'm like, "All right, that's that. I know how much of a money sink it is, but I'm gonna do it anyways." <laughs> so, the passion. Oh yeah, no, you're right. The, just just the passion really brought upon sixtycards.com. What made you go, I guess, against the grain, and decide to, hey, you know what? I'm gonna risk it all. I'm gonna put myself out there and say, I can make decks that can be better? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question to answer because, I mean, I, I don't even know if I've asked myself that. Um, actually, I take that back. Like, ev- eventually I, I have answered that. <laughs> and what it comes down to is um, really the metagame, the age of the Internet, I think has really got people to the point where they're, like if something they see something win, they're like, okay, that deck's gonna win, and they think they're good enough pilot, and that may or may not be true. So they'll just play the best deck because it's comfortable. They know it can win. Uh, you know, there is money on the line and prizes and e fame or fame in general. Uh, so it's understandable that people do that. But and also, I think it's a lack of work ethic, and I'm not just like saying that as far as the magic community goes. I mean, sure, there are a lot of lazy people in the magic community, and, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's something fun that people want to do and just kick back and relax, and that's great. Um, But there's so many cards and angles you can have. We we are given these, like, amazing mass amount of tools every three months that, that they're just guaranteed answers to what people are seeing. You just have to put in the work. And, uh, that's, I, I mean, I saw that and I had the passion to deck build because that's really where I got most of my kicks playing magic. I mean, that and honestly, I do love tournament play. I really have a struggle playing casually, like when there's nothing on the line. So, um, all that combined just kind of, uh, molded itself into like being a rogue deck designer. It's not like I went into it without intention. I went into it with the intention of trying to win, uh, and I still do. However, like I still love magic and the art and everything magic encompasses. So I do get pet cards, and 
some of my struggles come from that. So uh, I still have that, like, casual rogueness about me, I guess, to that extent. Um, but it's not my goal just to be different. So I just see I see I see that opportunity out there that there's so many cards and I know there's better strategies even in this era of Cobblade right now, completely dominating. As Flora says, Mike Flora says, um, there's you know there's never been a better deck in Standard ever, and I still think Cobblade's beatable and. Sometimes I feel like I'm giving up, but then I think of an idea and I have to try it. So <laughs> that might have been a little bit of a, uh, a whim there. I might have got off track, but <laughs> one idea kept flowing into the next. Who have been some of your influences when it comes to deck building? Oh, man. Um, first and foremost, Mike Flores has been an amazing help. I mean, uh, he, among everybody else, has been a critic, but... Uh, in a good way. I mean, Mike Flores has pushed me to uh, be a better deck builder. I th- we have a lot in common. I mean, obviously, he's miles better and more knowledgeable about the game as a whole. But, I mean, he's got the wife and the kid, I know, as do you. Um, but he's doing moto videos at home, brewing, giving to buddies to play in tournaments and, you know, sh- shoot, <laughs> winning worlds. Okay. Uh, winning worlds. Um with his decks, you know, he's brewing on Moto, and he understands the metagame, and he's got these other obligations, but his passion still lies there, uh, and he still loves winning and likes playing when he can, and, I mean, that mirrors my situation exactly. If I could even be a tenth of what Flores has done, I mean, I'd consider it a huge success. So, uh, definitely Mike Flores, first and foremost. Um, Patrick Chapin is an obvious second. Uh I mean, just, like, the amount of dedication he puts into the game, I think I have a bit of that. But, I mean, some of his articles are just unbelievable. The deck list posts and ideas he posts and uh, just just the way people eat up his ideas um, because he does know what he's talking about, yet they are unique and off the wall uh, sometimes. And uh, But, you know, he admits, I think I remember him tweeting that, you know, sometimes you just got to play the best deck. And, uh, you know, I think he was even talking about how he was going to go to a tournament and Cobblade was his deck of choice just because, you know, that's, that's what, what was best at the time. So um, those two have been hugely inspirational. And then, obviously, Conley Woods, just because of... Uh, I think there's a lot of me and him, too, uh a lot of him and me. <laughs> Sorry, the uh, just the the rogueness and like using using cards that people like um, and enjoy and like you know that's really driven a lot of traffic to the website as well. Just using cards that people enjoy and it's not just out of like I said, you know, having people come and look at the website and the deck. I mean, it's it's uh, just coming up with ideas that people aren't looking at. So uh, those three are definitely on top of my list. There's many more, um, but, you know, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are unknown that are really good, like Matthias Hunt, I have to mention, too, and his whole team, Kyle Stoll and all them. They made it the extended uh, blue-green Prismatic Omen deck, and they just all killed the scene for, like, two months, and that, that was just awesome. So there are definitely many out there. 
Well, let's go back to Mike Flores for a minute because obviously you know what happened this weekend with Mike. Yes. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. I was super stoked for him, for sure. Because it's funny, one of the criticisms is that Mike's a great designer, but he never wins with them. Someone else always does. Sure. And you know what? I think what it comes down to with that is if he was going out there every week, he would be winning, but he doesn't. And therefore, you know, he gets a chance here and there. And how often did he play? Maybe I think he's played two times in 5Ks this whole year, and he's won one of them. So pretty darn good to me, in my opinion. <laughs> Considering the guy he beat was the hottest player on that Star City Games Tour, Edgar Flores. Yeah, possibly one of the hottest in the world right now. I mean, as far as what people are seeing. Um, but not only did he go through Edgar Flores, he went through Reed Duke. Um, man, who else? I can't remember. But he went through multiple pro players, Grand Prix winners. Uh, he he's a player. I mean, some of his ideas, like I just I'm I'll be listening to Top Eight Magic and just want to yell, saying like, "No, that is not how I see it." Uh, so I definitely. Especially earlier, you know, maybe a year or so ago or up to the last six months, there's a lot of ideas I disagree with, disagree with him with. But, um, yeah, he, he knows how to build and he definitely knows how to play. Sometimes he just likes to be uh, loud about ideas and they are sometimes wrong, but, <laughs> you know, it happens to all of us. So, well, this is where I come back to with you is that Mike Flores has no fear of saying what's on his mind whenever and wherever and it has worked for him it has turned mike flores into a brand he, he literally you know you say yeah. Mike flores you can, <laughs> in this community you can immediately associate who he's with absolutely that is yeah. something that works and that is something that as new to the scene as you are with this, it's starting to develop with you because you said numerous times, play this green-white build, it'll get you to where you need to get to. And now people nowadays aren't saying, oh, you're nuts. They're going like, hey, I've tried it. It works. Some people, yes. <laughs> I mean, I think people are finally, I mean, I th I've thrown out some decks that are semi-successful. I mean, at least on the level I'm capable of. Uh, being newer to the game, like Green White Tokens uh, won a lot of dailies. I think quite a few people on Moto knew about it. It didn't really get past Moto, though. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely loud. I mean, Tezzeret the Mind Hammer has almost top aided the Star City Games circuit uh, by some good pilots, Chris Allen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I literally, the thing is, Mike Flores actually plays decks he talks about. A lot of people who talk about stuff are just basing it, I mean, from what I see, as someone who really, truly plays most all the cards, I can tell when someone's just talking out their butt about a card just based on their experience, and someone who's actually played. Mike Flores actually plays the decks he's talking about, and he actually sees the interactions, and he takes the time and learns it and tweaks a deck, and then explodes it onto everybody and uh that's what i do and so sometimes i get carried away and you know i say wrong things and it happens and i'm i'm learning what's good and what's not better and better every time like Koth is better than jace is uh one jamandine always gives me crap for <laughs> um but uh you know 
and that by the way, that was before Jace was even near as dominant as he is now. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah. So playing the cards. Um, shoot, I lost track of the original question as I generally do. <laughs> That's okay, man. Don't worry about it. No, absolutely. But um, yeah. So shoot, you might have to remind me there. <laughs> Let's look a little bit about your playing your actual physical playing of the cards. Mm-hmm. Now, you're you're married. You have a wife mm-hmm. that that puts up with you doing a podcast and being on moto all the time, and <laughs> still giving her time. Absolutely. Let's go into that quick. How much of a challenge is it to be as competitive as you are and do what you do and still try to keep that you know better half in your house happy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um I guess it's a little bit of struggle, I won't lie, but uh, Andrea, my wife, is amazingly supportive. She's, she understands how much that it's more than just a hobby. It's almost like a second job that I'm like truly passionate about. Uh, so she makes sacrifices in that sense and completely understands. In fact, she, I got her listening to the A-Team finally, and uh, <laughs> despite her not knowing Magic Cards very well or much at all, uh, she still enjoys it, but... Uh, she she gives me the time. She understands um, the the needs I need uh, during a week for magic, like the A team on Thursdays, and uh, we we got a kind of a good situation where she works nights as a nurse, and um, I get a chance to you know play until I go to bed super late, <laughs> play magic while she's working, so that I can spend the time with her. So it is a juggle. Um, it is it is doable. It's tough because I do have a kid too who's two and a half years old, and uh, you know he he takes up a lot of time at, at, in the evening too. So, um, but yeah, I mean I'm also surrounded by a great support group of friends. Uh, Matt Marr and Kobe Huntington, as you all know, Cobra Snake. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for all for those of you know who don't know, you gotta go back and watch or listen to some A Team. <laughs> probably in episodes uh, twenty to thirty, we probably do a lot of Cobra Snake in there. So, <laughs> well, I guess you could say, as according to the A Team, this is your official wife plug for the evening. That's that it is the <laughs> wife plug of the evening. Absolutely, <laughs> great call. <laughs> now your Matt Marr thing. Yes. How did you know him and? So on and so forth. How did this all happen? Well, you know, I mean, I go to FNM every week. Uh, well, pretty much every week. Um, excuse me, just to compete. I mean, especially playing Paper Magic, because I get awfully loose when I play Paper Magic compared to Moto, because I'm so used to Moto. Um, and uh, I just I just need the face-to-face interaction to get better. And plus, plus it is fun when I go with my friends and such. But anyways, Matt's been part of the Southern Oregon uh, Magic community for a decade or more um he's always he's been playing magic a very long time uh i think it's only been the last few years you know he's pro tour caliber he's been a level four pro last year um level three this year working on four and uh you know he's just local and i i just showed my passion and we became friends played some he doesn't play fnms often um but we just became friends, and he realized that I was—I really wanted to help him do better uh, because I like living vicariously through people on a pro tour since I 
Salt Lake won't ever be a consistent Pro Tour player. Um, however, that is a goal. Uh, but yeah, so it's been a fantastic, fun, uh, fun bit of magic with Matt Marr, uh, just trying to help him uh, do better in Pro Tours. And uh, hopefully, I'd like to think I'd hel- I'm helping him, but he's done well in the last couple Pro Tours. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it just there's not many people in Southern Oregon. There has been over the years, but in Southern Oregon, um, they are have the drive to be competitive, and uh, he noticed that. And um, so yeah, the rest is history. What is the thing you get out of playing Moto Online that has made you a better player? Oh man, I mean, just the sheer amount of time you can play Magic on Moto without relying on others is is just beyond comparable to Paper Magic. I mean, as probably 95% of people know, getting a playgroup together at the same time, consistently week in and week out, or shoot, even day in and day out, is next to impossible. <laughs> uh, and Moto offers an extremely high level co- of competition, um, you know, every hour that you have free. And that right there is, like, ridiculously useful. I mean, you can you see a lot of Moto players, whether they're known or not, like Michael Jacob just constantly winning on Moto all the time. Um, there's just so many people, and uh, those skills on Moto really, really translate just the amount of time you put into seeing how plays interact. Like, if you sit down with a group, I think most playgroups probably play a few games and maybe sideboard a little or choose a different deck, and it just, it just doesn't work good enough. you got to play, you know, hun- almost hundreds of games for a deck to be super good. Like, my green-white tokens and Mind Hammer have are probably damn near in the thousands of games played at this point. So, you know, you learn, you just learn the interactions and you fully understand the metagame uh, to an, quite an extreme extent. So it's super useful, although it is very, very expensive. <laughs> How often are you thinking of different decks? Oh, God. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. Uh <laughs> Just don't say it. Don't say it's during sex. It's all character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, well, let's just put it this way. So I have um, it's MTG deck builder on my phone. Uh, there's probably 50 different standard brews in there right now. Uh, you know, I, it, honestly, it's it's a it's a lot of the day. You generally driving home in the car any spare time that you know I, when I don't feel like I need a break from deck building is concentrated towards ideas or tightening existing ideas I've already had. Uh, I, I couldn't even put a number on it. it. It's it's probably too much, <laughs> and it's not just out of obligation. Like I just get these ideas and I get so excited and I just want to go test them. And so uh, that's another reason I get so frustrated with the month uh, lag on Moto when new sets come out. Out of those decks that are sitting in your mach- in your deck builder, right? How many of those actually come out, and how many of those get scrapped? Uh, I'd say out of the fifty, uh, the Mindhammer is the only deck capable of winning 
let's say, a Star City Games tournament. <laughs> and I've played every single one. Um, so, I mean, as you can see, like, when, then, uh, that brings me to another point. <laughs> I can go on a little tangent. Oh, go ahead. Pe- okay, when people, not, this isn't a knock, by the way, on Yo MTG Taps, but when, uh, Joe and Joey say, start, start, uh, stop bitch and start brewing, um, <laughs> man, it's not easy. It really isn't. I mean, the amount of time I've put in, and have not been able to like fully break the metagame and make anything even near a Splinter Twin deck or a Cobbler deck. Well, actually, Mindhammer is kind of near, in my opinion, but um, it takes hundreds and hundreds of hours to even come up with an idea that's close to beating these top decks. So when people say, like, you know, all about the net deck situation, I mean, I understand why people do it, because... First of all, it takes confidence in what you've built that you'll beat them every time or, you know, that you'll feel like you'll beat them every time because it's it's heavily about confidence um, that, uh, you know, it, it just takes an incredible amount of time that I don't think most understand when they're talking about, you know, why are you net deck or why doesn't anyone come up with anything? I mean, one out of a thousand people, and I'm not saying, like, I'm one in a thousand people that are doing this, uh, but I mean, it might kind of, I think it might actually kind of be true. I don't think people put in the effort needed to break the metagame, and therefore we do get stuck with uh, the week in and week out Cobblade, which, uh, man, that, that's just how I see it, and I, it could be way off track, but, um, and I, I don't blame anyone for not <laughs> doing it, because I, I drive myself insane with the amount I think about brewing, and uh, tried to brew. So, yeah, I'd, I'd literally say one to two of these decks out of 50. If if 50 people played the deck out of a 500-person Star City Games, like, one of them would top eight, maybe, if I could get that many people to play. And that's the other thing. Like, any type of rogue deck builder trying to get people to play cards or a new deck in a, new turn- in a tournament coming up... Um, you need numbers. You just do. Otherwise, the luck factor plays into it too much, um, and and then people get down on decks and scrap them and just go back to the main deck. So the the effort and time it takes to break into a metagame is incredible. <laughs> and uh, the only people who really hold the power to post the list and see it all throughout a tournament are are the already existing pros. So <laughs> I, I actually see it heavily on them that um, new brews are are heavily on them to break a metagame up. And, uh, you know, I, I, we've seen Mike Flores and Patrick Chapin do that. So all credit to them for that. So I'm going to refer back to your last episode mm-hmm. with one Palo. Yes. And the, I guess you would call it the Spell Skate incident. <laughs> The week before, you're like, this is the greatest card known to man. <laughs> I do get my pet cards and like to call them out <laughs> heavily. <laughs> and then Paulo says in his article, is like, oh, this will work real great. And the price, like, tripled. Right. That's the exact point of you're talking about of how, yes, you saw it. You said something about it. But all it takes is Paulo to write an article saying, hey, you know what? This might work. And all of a sudden, everybody's on it. Absolutely. When it gets to that point of, as you're moving closer along that line to get to that point, and all suddenly we'll say it's episode, I don't know, 127 of the A-Team, 
<laughs> and we're looking at, you know, M13. Right. And you say J7.6, you know, the stripped-down version of J2.0. But this card will be great and phenomenal. And all of a sudden, it takes a jump because of what you say in the A-Team or put in an article for 60 cards. What is that moment going to be like for you? <laughs> Man, I mean, that would be the ultimate goal. Other than being an actual um, Pro Tour player at any level, uh, winning a PTQ, I mean, th- that's that might have to be up there. That might possibly be my greatest achievement and greatest goal is to um, be respected enough that that actually ends up happening. Now, I don't expect it until I show some, I think shows some play skill in the Pro Tour because I believe that's what it takes. And I don't blame people. I think, uh, I think just uh, um, what I'm trying to say, P- players on the Pro Tour um, have proven something. And, I mean, it's understandable that people are going to listen to proven people that have actual shown results so uh but that moment would be beyond epic (laughs) i mean i think that would probably be the the greatest moment as far as all the effort i've put into uh deck building i mean i'm just even waiting for the time that i build a brew and enough people say oh my god i'm gonna put some testing time into this oh my god i love this deck oh, my God, I'm going to bring it into this Grand Prix, and then it makes top eight. And that moment's come extremely close. <laughs> In fact, well, yeah, um, I do have a pretty funny story. But, yeah, that moment right there even will be just gigantic for me. I mean, it, it would be absolutely incredible. So we'll use the example. Matt Mark goes to Grand Prix Kansas City. I believe right. that's standard. If I'm not correct, I could be wrong, and I'm sure there are people yelling at their computer right now saying, I'm wrong. Yeah. But we'll wrong. say Grand, Grand Prix Kansas City standard. Right. You get Matt Maher to play the latest brew you have in mind because it's the thing that can finally put an end to Cobblade. Right. Or we'll even think positive, and Stoneforge Mystic has been banned. <laughs> Yay. And now it's a brand new metagame. So here you come in, Matt, let's test this. You spend weeks testing it. He feels confident. He's top eight. And all suddenly they pull him into the GG's live booth. <laughs> There's Rashad. There's Matt. And Matt goes, I'd like to thank my friend Jesse, or you know him from the A-team as Smitty from 60cards.com. Is that when everything comes together and says, I've validated all my work? I think absolutely. I mean, that I, I couldn't think of any other reason or what other reason people would need. Uh, I think it would still take a lot for uh, of work for the majority of Magic players to know who I am uh, so that I could be respected more. But, I mean, the people that matter would fully see that, and uh, that moment would be just... That'd be epic. And what, what's what's really funny, and I've got a lot of crap about this, is um, shoot, what was it? What God, I think it was Worlds. Honestly, it was Worlds 2010. Um, I can't it could be Paris? 
I, I'm blanking. I, I think it was Worlds. But anyways, so Matt, um, Matt and I had been brewing and brewing and brewing. We were working on a blue-black Tezzeret list right after Tezzeret came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both really comfortable with the deck. And he's like, I'm like, here, dude, here's the deck. Take it. It's built for you. You don't have to deal with it when you get there. Um, you know, let me know if you decide to play it. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to play it. And so he started the day, um, first round of six, uh, or six matches. I think he only started three and three. I was like, oh, shoot. I think I just tanked Matt with my deck. And then uh, he proceeded to 6-0 the draft. Um <laughs> He was going on into the second from last round, only needing a win, and then he could draw into top eight. And I thought he was running <laughs> the blue-black Tezzeret list. We were running uh, all this time before the Pro Tour, the Worlds, whichever it was. I can't believe I can't remember. Um, and I think it was against uh, the eventual winner. God, I'm totally blanking who won or not worlds it was paris it was paris um ben stark yes sorry ben stark so ben stark and him were playing in that round where he needed to win to get to guarantee a top eight uh and he ended up losing that ended up i think 22nd in the tournament but uh it wasn't until then I, I realized that all this hype I was doing on Twitter, et cetera, I thought he was running my deck, and people were freaking out, like, he can't be serious. <laughs> and sure enough, he ended up playing Volaku. <laughs> but he, in the standard portion, I think he was only uh, 60%, and he had... So really, it was his drafting that got him there, and Volaku actually ended up being possibly the wrong choice. I don't know, but uh, that was pretty funny because that moment always hap- almost happened. I actually had that feeling. And then uh, once again in Star City Game Circuit on a lower level, Chris Allen was running the My Mind Hammer list, and he had a feature match against Spagnola. Uh, in the very last round, and it was a win and in top eight. Unfortunately, he lost that one too. So, the, any one of these tournaments here, I, if I can convince enough people to run the deck, I think it might happen. <laughs> but I've already kind of got a taste of that feeling, and man, it's sweet. With the other decks you come up with that you're not going to use, mm-hmm. where do they go? I mean, do you let people like Scotty test them, or what happens to those decks? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of these decks, um, I generally tend to ship the decks to people who end up giving me feedback on them. Like, I create quite a bit of email lists, kind of a small, tight-knit group that, um, you know, I want to share with. I'm not I'm not shy to share my lists with anyone, really, if they want to see them. Um, and so, but generally, the people who actually give me feedback, I continue to include on the email list so it gets smaller and smaller uh scotty mack you know from the a team uh for those that don't know um also a writer on 60cards.com from occasion and then uh marshall from limited resources who you know you might know him as a limited player but the dude knows magic he's super smart at cards in general and he's super helpful in a lot of my brews um which might be surprising to some so I, I shoot those builds to some people. Uh, you know, they tell it how it is, and they see it. They're both on top of the meta game, and there's more. You know, I send them to Matt Marr. I send them to some of my local buddies, um, Jorge Paniagua, who was our Oregon na- national 
qualifier champion last year, which in Oregon there's only like one, and it's Portland, and he won in a field of about 200. He's a really good player, uh, so I ship him my list. Um, there's definitely a tight-knit group, and it uh, it ends up, you know, generally being, no, this isn't going to work out, but they definitely help me with ideas. I generally test. Scotty tests a lot, and Scotty's ran my decks through tournaments, although he has awful luck with my decks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it it's not just me solely. I, I There's a lot of people who help, help me often, and even... Uh, if I have something that's really close, I'll ask Chapin or Mike Flores, and I'll send them send them an idea. And actually, they do uh, help me out kind of on a professional level uh, with what I'm trying to do with the deck. And all those views are completely necessary to me um, because I get in such a tunnel vision spot with my decks that I just have this vision. I it's really hard to break that mold when you when you get to a point in a deck that you think it's good enough and it's you need a change but you just can't see where the cut would come and uh, having people to help you that know the metagame and know cards and who are good at magic is absolutely huge. So creating and Twitter's helped with that immensely. Just creating friends and uh, uh, you know mutual mutual respect for each other to the point where you know Mike Flores knows who I am and he's willing to help me. Uh, it's beyond epic. So the fun thing about doing groups like that and then getting when you like you said you're close getting higher level help mm-hmm. is the fact that when you're getting those responses. I mean, they're taking their time to give mm-hmm. that to you. If it's that close and they think it's that good, you know, one of these days, one of them are going to look at that and go, huh, let's see. Let's give it a run. Let's try it out. And then all of a sudden, it could be the, oh, you know what? I got this deck list, and boom, there it's up on a Star City Games article. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that would be... Uh, that would be huge, and I've thought of that, and I'm like, you know, it hasn't happened yet, and it's understandable. But what's funny is uh, Tezzeret the Mindhammer, probably one of my best-known decks, um, came from a comment on Twitter from Flores randomly. He's like, yo, dude, and this is like after months and months, even a year of criticism from him for good reason, you know. I still knew. I still am new. Um, but he's like, I think you're... Uh, your grossest Tezzeret cough list is actually really good. And I'm like, oh, damn, thanks, dude. And so uh, that made me put all the effort I did into into it, and uh, and that's how it's become what it is now. So uh, it, feedback is more important than, like, people can possibly imagine because I think uh, I listen to everything everyone says, and I'm I've – come to the point where I'm very open-minded about my deck building and I truly do listen to what people say because the objective standpoint is often the correct one, especially when they know what they're talking about. So let's take you off subject for a little bit. Let's yeah. talk about the let's talk about the best word in your dictionary right now and that's the word dad. <laughs> Definitely. What is it like to be a dad? Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible. My little boy has uh, grown up so much in the last man six months. I mean it's crazy when they come from like 
just like jibber jabbering, being super fussy, going through the terrible twos at like one and a half into just a kid who just like comes up and hugs you out of nowhere. And, uh, man, we went on a cruise for a whole week, my wife and I, and, uh, it's crazy how much you miss your kids. It's like, you just think about it more, you know, more than you think about magic. That's for dang sure. <laughs> and, uh, you get home and they just like scream out, daddy. It's just like, yeah, there's no, there's no feeling that can top that. That's for sure. It, it's awesome. When your boy gets a little older and he starts going, hey, dad, I watched you do this magic thingy thing, and I think it's kind of interesting. <laughs> How do you approach this? Because I will refer to myself, eight-year-old now, to the point now where he plays, and he actually ironically came up to me tonight and said, dad, I want to make my own deck. Sweet. <laughs> so, so what age do you think could work with you if he comes up to you and says, hey, Dad, I want to try this? Well, of course, I'd always be supportive of uh, anything he wanted to do that's positive, that I feel is positive. Um, not that I'm like some commander or nothing, but <laughs> I think magic is a uh, is a great outlet for creativity and uh positivity and just surrounding yourself with good people um so i don't know that's tough man i i I guess i don't know until the time comes i'm very growing up as a avid gamer (laughs) i have very little patience for people who aren't good at games (laughs) so i'm gonna have to jump that hurdle when it comes but absolutely it'll be a fantastic moment and i'll look forward to it and um for those who don't know, his name is Kai, so, you know, I'm just saying, there's only one other Kai in Magic, right? <laughs> True. So, we'll see, we'll see. So, if he can get the dad's creativity, but be able to actually go away to actually play it, then we could have our our, our winner here? When you're a little older, and he's like 16, 17, saying, Dad, I want to go to a GP that's 300 miles away, will you drive me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, at that age, that would just be an amazingly fun road trip. I mean, I'd be like, I'm in. <laughs> I don't I don't foresee myself quitting Magic, like, ever at this point. I, I love the game way too much. And at that age, like, a road trip with my boy, like, it would just be, I mean, th- I look forward to those times most definitely. Forewarn the missus. Say hey. No. <laughs> if he's calling, I got to go. Absolutely, <laughs> and what's great is she supports it already. So uh, it, it's it's not when he's ready to play games and play magic. Uh, it, it's going to be a good time, and maybe eventually she'll get into it to the point where it's you know she she likes it enough and wants to be competitive or something. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Here's the hard question: Will you allow him to play chess? <laughs> Oh, man. For those that don't know, that's an A-team inside joke. <laughs> you know what? Probably yes, because uh, it's good to hold out virginity. <laughs> uh, I had to go there. <laughs> so how old is KYT and he still has his virginity? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, 
someday I'm going to ask him that on the A-team and throw him under the bus. <laughs> oh, uh, poor guy. Mark. Yeah, we love KYT, man. He's the best. <laughs> well, let's let's kind of go through the rest of the team real quick. Definitely. Obviously, you and Scotty have a tremendous relationship. You've gone into that already. Obviously, Dad, who's going to be Dad 2, and literally right now as we could be doing this, he could be yes. Dad plus 2 right now. It seems like every day I ask, any update? Nope. <laughs> I've been bugging him, too. <laughs> it's hard. It, when you have someone that you have a friendship with, and they're having a child, and you being a parent, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, pictures, baby, how's it going, yep. mom okay. <laughs> it's yep. one of those moments. So how will the A-team function when dad goes out on maternity leave? Yeah, that's going to be crazy. Um, surprise, a sur- surprising turn of events on the Limited Resources podcast and a good friendship with uh, Marshall from the podcast uh, may mean we might get a perfect replacement for him uh, until he's ready to return. And I'm not <laughs> – Marshall hasn't agreed to this or anything, by the way, people. <laughs> but uh, this is Don't just Don't bombard him on Twitter like, or Facebook. <laughs> exactly. Just bug him and say, oh, dude, you just need to drop limited resources and join the A-team until Scotty gets back. And I've, we had him as a guest one time. He clicked perfectly. He'd be a great fit. He uh, loves to fling poop at Jay and all that. <laughs> And that's what it takes to be a member of the A team. So uh, we'll we'll see how that goes, but uh, I, I know we'll we'll get through it, and it'll be it'll be tough without Scotty because I mean his contribution to the A team is is un- irreplaceable as far as just like the way he, he his ideas and words flow. They're so unique. Like there's no one that could ever replace Scotty, and he's just so well on top of Magic in the meta game, even though he's not even a super competitive player. Um, yeah, <laughs> our whole team, man, you, Jay, just, uh, <laughs> completely ridiculous, but like, so well, like, so, what am I trying to say? So, uh, just like, well, he does so well socially. Uh, you'll have to edit that retarded moment out <laughs> or not. It's okay. I'm used to it. Uh, but, um, yeah, he just, uh, he just, like, he, he's Jay, like, he's kind of like the Jeebus on Twitter, right? But, like, way more unsocially awkward. <laughs> Sorry, Jeebus, I just threw you under the bus, bro. <laughs> but, uh, he, he's just so good for the podcast, man. And what are the odds that he just hops on there? Um, me and him are really good bros. We've had our fights. We've actually met in person at GP Portland. Uh, Jay, I think, has to be the mis- most misunderstood person, and, like, me and him would be some of the best buddies, I think, if we lived together. Like, not lived together. Frick, that sounds gay. <laughs> uh, but uh, if we were, like, in the same town, you know, and actually grew up together, I think we'd be really close friends, probably more so than any of the other A-team members, surprisingly. Um, like, he- he's got that persona and then, like, his real-life persona, but... Uh, he, he's just an awesome guy, a lot of fun, uh, and he's got good humor to the point where he's not insulting. Well, speaking of that humor, yes, I caught it immediately when Jay was talking about Paulo's favorite peck. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. You gotta understand, Paulo's very, very smart. Don't get me wrong, Paulo really knows his stuff. Yeah. But American humor yes. goes right over his head. Yeah. And you zinged him on one, and I'm just like sitting there, I have my head down going, oh, he's not getting this. Right, right. <laughs> you guys just that- rolled with it, and I'm like... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's funny you mentioned that because, like, he's so, he does so well for being so disconnected from the world. I mean, <laughs> sorry, South America, but you have to be the most disconnected continent ever. <laughs> uh, but he's so polite. He's the most incredible person, like, on so many levels. He's just super intelligent. Uh, he's extremely unawkward socially. Like, he, he is socially very, very um, well-rounded as far as, like, even being a part of that. So, yes, some things go over his head, but I can't imagine learning, like, just, like, being having another language. I don't know. He's got to be bilingual, right, obviously. Yeah, he speaks <laughs> Four languages. That's right. I did hear that on your Metamagic interview. Uh, that's a, unbelievable. And just like be at the point where he is now, um, and especially because yeah, I mean he's a part of the magic world, which is so international. Like uh, he, he does an amazing job. But that's got to be tough. I mean, going on with the A team for an hour and a half of podcasting, not knowing what you're jumping into, because I don't think he listens to us personally, um, but thankfully he had a great time, and it turned out to be apparently one of our best episodes yet. That's not self-proclaimed. That's from uh, comments, etc. But uh, Paul is an amazing guy. Yeah, that was really funny. And uh, Jay, that's the thing about Jay, too. He's just not, he's not afraid to do that. <laughs> Before you had him on, and I heard you had him on, I sent Scotty a message and said, please be kind to him. Because, yeah. Like I said, he may not get the A-team sense of humor. Right. You know, saying, and that's okay, because, but does he know everything there is to know about magic? Absolutely. And right. <laughs> the one comment I liked is when you said, uh, can I get your playgroup? <laughs> Wait, what was that? You said, can I get in your playgroup? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, huh? <laughs> he took a it pretty literally, and, you know, hey, I mean, of course I joined their playgroup, but... <laughs> I'm aspiring to be someone that would be in your playgroup. Absolutely right, right. That's Like I said, he takes things literally word for word. Sure, and, yeah. And that's okay. That's what made him such a great interview, because you can guide him... Literally, right down the track. Sure, and that makes it easy. And yeah, you might not be saying he might be in South America for long because if he does find a new home and it's in America, I think he'll quickly catch on to everything. So you might not be able to get those things past him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And we uh, we invited him back on uh, anytime he wanted to come on. So hopefully he'll come back on. He said he's doing a month of traveling for uh, four different magic tournaments, so hopefully he does well, because uh, how can you not root for Paulo, man? The guy's awesome, dude. Uh, so hopefully we'll have him on, and we'll have some more fun, and uh, <laughs> yeah. What people don't realize is, and that's what I tried to bring up in this interview numerous times, is that he is literally almost in the top ten lifetime of career points. Yeah, it's incredible. And he's not old. <laughs> I think he's, what, 
three, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. E3, that's 200 plus lifetime career points. And for the career track he's going on and, you know, the school he's going through and all that and living in a country that's, you know, more disconnected than most, uh, it's rather incredible that just the amount of, like, dedication and then traveling um, and intelligence he has. I mean, <laughs> he's one in a million, so... Paul, he, he's going to be one of the greatest. He's a Hall of Famer for sure. And the funny thing about it is he doesn't think he's, just <laughs> yeah. by listening to him, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not there. I'm not there. And I kept trying to t- tell him. I talked to him a little bit off air, and I'm like, you do realize you have more points than LSV. You have more <laughs> points than, and I rattle off all these names. And he goes, I've been lucky. Yeah, <laughs> he is the most modest person possibly in the entire world, <laughs> which is fantastic. That's such a good trait to have. I wish I could say the same about myself. I was going to say, what if Jay Bush had 223 lifetime career magic points? What would his ego be like? <laughs> yeah, for serious. Oh, man, that would be fun. We'll see then him and Paul Reitz will get together and have a Boros battle to death. There you go. <laughs> the battle of the step links. <laughs> That's fantastic. What makes you excited when it comes to a new set? Oh, man. Finding that card that I want to build with, probably more than anything. The last few sets, let's see, we've gone from uh, Vengevine and Rise. Um, I actually... I wasn't well-known or anything, and I'm not even sure 60 Cards was up, but Stoneforge Mystic was an early favorite of mine, uh, and I noticed the immediate kind of ridiculousness that it was a turn two tutor card advantage on turn two. Um, so I guess it kind of started there. Uh, not giving myself credit, I mean, it, I didn't even push that hard on that card. Um, however, like it really started with Vengevine, poss- probably still my favorite card ever. Uh, and when the new set comes out, you know, what happened next? Uh, M10, or M10 was the very, M11. Um, I don't I can't remember out of the core set if I chose anything. Uh, core sets are, are a little different for me. I mean, I don't get as <laughs> much of a pet card. But yeah, just like choosing a pet card, choosing a card I love and want to build around, um, that's so much fun. And the art, I really am a fan of art and magic. And uh, especially the newer modern art, like, they've kind of, like, put a good track on where they want to go with it. And I absolutely, the art just keeps one in, one up in itself, probably for the last, since I've began, which was right at M10. So, yeah, it's it's rather, yeah, the art and pet cards, I'll go with that. <laughs> Makes you really want to brew. The preview for Innistad, if I'm not correct, that's uh-huh. the one yep. after that. Are you excited about the oh. dark angle of it? Um, you, you know what? Like, generally, I'm a green mage, and it, people have come to know me as liking green. Um, I've branched out a little because it doesn't often end up that way, and usually green cards are kind of worse. I'm kind of on the Mike Flores train on that. Uh, Vengevine was the closest they got to, like, making green competitive, in my opinion. Um, 
But, uh, yes, definitely. I mean, I actually used to play L5R pretty competitively, and the only deck I was ever really good with was Shadowlands. And I've always liked black cards, uh, too, and so, I mean, definitely the darker feel Innistrad is going to be insane, uh, as well as the design team on Innistrad is insane. I have extremely high hopes for the set because I'm not the hugest fan of the current block we're in, unfortunately. Um, so, yes, <laughs> Innistrad I'm looking forward to very, very much. The Phyrexian getting it large. Oh, a Phyrexian Obliterator. 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 Yes. Could that make black competitive? Uh, Obliterator, I've played, I've built a mono black deck and recently posted about it. Obliterator is not a good card, at least not in a Jace format. Um, in block, he's much more insane, because I have been testing block, helping a group out with, uh, Proto Nagoya, and Obliterator is good there. Um, not fantastic. The problem is, he just, he, you know, I've always gone by the, the theory that if you're going to play creatures, <laughs> they need to have haste, or at least pseudo-haste. Uh, and he's just too slow. A Jace Bouncer and into the Royal is a complete blowout. Uh, you're not going to win. If, obviously, you play Mono Black if you're playing Obliterator. You drop him, and they have any sort of into the Royal or Bounce. Um, you're pretty much done for. And uh, even if they were casting a Go for the Throat, that would be fine. But the fact that they can instant speed into the roll you end a turn or just Jace bounce and have all their mana, uh, the card's just not good enough. Now, the real Phyrexian Obliterator that no one's seen is Lash Rise. Card is freaking nuts. It's just as big, gets bigger, um, can attach to creatures, and it does have pseudo-haste because it's a free equip. Uh, that card's the, the real black card that people should be looking at. <laughs> But where are the creatures in black to make it work? I mean, you could do... My list I've posted is kind of a mid-range deck. It's not an all-out control. It's kind of a 15-creature thing where you only need one creature on board with a Lash Rife type deal. Um, I've been using Black Knight as an anti-caught tech because it's pro-white. Uh, just Blood Gas because he can keep coming back. But honestly... A mono-black Vampires build, because we already know Vampires can uh, do okay in these tournaments with Cobblade at the top. Um, a mono-black deck, Vampires, 20, 25 creatures with four Lash Rife and some Hand Disruption and Removal is an extremely effective strategy. <laughs> I promise you that. Lash Rife is just as good as Batter Skull, I mean, for black. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, black is a, in general. I love playing the cards. I love the hand disruption. Uh, it's just like a catch-all. It's a catch-all deck, like akin to blue in a sense that um, you know you'll you'll have answers, whether it be counters or bounce or uh, just pure card advantage or card filtering. Uh, black doesn't have all that, so I mean, it's definitely no blue, but um, they definitely have some unique angles. So I love I love the darkness. <laughs> That's cool because I one of the things to test somebody quote unquote if you want to find out a little more about somebody and their quote expertise is you put them on the spot with something that shouldn't work right the the, the Frexian card right it's hard to make something with four black work and that's why I wanted to see what you'd react to and that's 
kind of what I was hoping you would say. I, I, the Lashrite thing uh, reminds me of the old equipment that used to equip by giving three life and it cost you, you know, X amount of, I think it was four, and then you could lose three life and mm-hmm. equip it and it gives plus one, plus one for every swamp you had. And I always thought that card was a beater in decks, and now this one just makes it easier and cheaper. Right. Well, the thing is, like, I think, I really feel like Mono Black Vampires might be the best deck for a card like Lashrith. Um, I really wish Obliterator was good. And by the way, actually, Obliterator is incredible versus aggro decks. Um, if you're, it, I mean, and that's why I put it in the sideboard because, I mean, against aggro decks, they have to have the removal or they're just gonna lose. They'll never be able to attack you. It's kinda like a Bane Slayer Angel. Um, so, anyways, in that sense, it's great. But, uh, yeah, so Mono Black Vampires, Lash Rife, that's the way to go. You're always gonna have creatures. The deck, Vampires already is a deck with reach because, you know, you're hitting them with pulse trackers, auto damage, class your highborns extremely important, and recurring, uh, blood gas. Um, Lash Rife just makes your dudes 8-8s. So, <laughs> And it's absolutely incredible. Asked by a fellow listener of the A-Team. Mm-hmm. And his question to you was, what about the skinny jeans and the tight shirts? <laughs> Frickin' D-Campa, David. No, no, I, I don't think that he said that, but he's the one. Okay, somehow someone something got started with him about tight jeans and skinny shirts and I don't know how that got turned around on me. You know what? It was Jay Bush, that bastard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he started the whole I wear skinny jeans and tight shirts thing. That is one million percent not true. I'm like, I'm the jock type. <laughs> I wear like basketball shorts and baggy shirts often. Um, or like, you know, I do occasionally wear the jeans, but they sure as heck aren't tight. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to squash that rumor right here. Thanks for the opportunity on that one. <laughs> uh, but hopefully you'll see me at some uh, Grand Prix and stuff, people, and you realize that uh, I only support the 60-card shirts. I think um, what happened was I ordered too many small 60-card shirts, and Jay Bush started giving me crap about it because I didn't have one for him. <laughs> So he got pissed and called me out on skinny shirts and skinny jeans. <laughs> that was from my fellow co-host, the Man of Screw. That was from Tangent. Oh, of course uh, it was. 